Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach in the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area today we're very pleased and honored to be joined by a friend of the show mike aquilina uh many of you out there know mike we're going to be discussing his new book that's out from emmaus road publishing the healing imperative the early church and the invention of medicine as we know it mike we're so happy to be talking about this we're happy you wrote this book because i don't think a lot of people know a lot of things many things in the modern world we just simply take for granted we don't bother to try to find out where, oh, hospitals? I'm sure they went back to the Garden of Eden. We always had hospitals, right? Um, yeah. and, and things like that. And, uh, well, that, no, that's not always the case. And, you know, these things had a beginning. And uh, and like many things that we, like I said, we take for granted, uh, medicine, healthcare, hospitals, uh, all these things uh, being examples of that. So uh, this is going to be a great conversation. So welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, uh, Joe. And I, I, you're absolutely right. There is so much that we take for granted uh, and uh, so much that that's just become wallpaper for us. Like, like big ideas like uh, human rights, human dignity, human equality, all of these big ideas that we enjoy as, uh, as, as, uh, as part of the civilization where we live. And, um, and then there are these institutions like the university, uh, the, the idea of universal education and the hospital that, that yeah. we take for granted that these things they have just always been there, and they haven't. They were kind of injected into the civilizational bloodstream by Christianity. They're a direct right. result of the words and the deeds of Jesus Christ, and uh, and the efforts of the church, and uh, and they're they're part of our picture today because the saints have established them uh, where they are. Well, and that's what that's what I think. We we you know we we Mike we say on the show all the time. Okay, we have on people like you, and this is not blowing smoke. This is just the way it is. You have a, you have a, a, obviously a wider breadth of knowledge. Certainly with history. We've discussed history with, with you before on the show. Okay. Joe and I learn just as much as our audience does. We all need to know these things. So the faith is not just a matter of knowing, which is all the pious devotions, which of course are important and central to our faith, prayer, uh, going to confession, going to mass, okay, but also our church history. We should know more about it. And again, we've talked to you about that before in other areas. And today we're going to talk about the healing imperative, the early church and the invention of medicine as we know it. Now, like I said, many of you out there listening to us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, you know, Mike, having said that, uh, quick bio, Mike Aquilina is the author of more than 50 books, uh, including the best-selling Fathers of the Church, an introduction to the first Christian teachers, the mass of the early Christians, uh, and how the choir converted the world through hymns, with hymns, in hymns, 
Uh, his reviews, essays, and journalism have appeared in First Things, Touchstone, National Catholic Register, and elsewhere. Uh, Mike Aquilina is the executive vice president of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, along with Dr. Scott Hahn, and he has hosted several several popular series on EWTN. Uh, Mike and his wife, Terry, are parents to six ch children and grandparents to six as well. So with that, uh, yeah, like I said, this is going to be a great conversation, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe, and we'll get it rocking. Guys, we always start with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, Mike, as Joe said, you've been on the show a number of times, and I'll be honest with you, we're blessed to have you. I don't just say that; uh, you're such a pleasant person to talk to. I, I mean that. Like, I, I want to tell you that you you really are a good Catholic. You know, not just what you put now, but you're just a good person to talk to. I just wanted to say that because I was just I, saying that to my wife. I always have you a came great on. time on this show. We, Yo, have, we have fun, but but you're yeah. such a good guy. And and I and to be honest with you, you're a wonderful witness. Um and I, I say that to everyone out there. Mike has a lot of good stuff, um, you know, a lot of good books, this being one of them. But um wonderful witness, so important. Um, but what what made you write about medicine? I mean, you're not a doctor, neither are we. Um, obviously, you know, the church had a big part of how hospitals started. What inspired you to write about this subject? Well, I, I'm not even a historian. I am a history buff, though, and I read a lot of history. And one of the things I often read in books of history is that Christianity invented healthcare. And it's always just kind of a hit and run, you know, that's something that's thrown in like everybody knows this. Of course, we all know this, um, but but it's never really explained. And so I wanted to to do some research uh, and find out what's the real story there. And in order to uh, to do the research, I had to get somebody to pay me to do the research. Uh, and, and so I wrote a book about about the subject. This is an important part. Of our lives, you know, think about the the kind of debates that are swirling in our country now and have been for the last 40, 50 years. Uh, uh, so much of it is about health care. And this is something that the church has something to say about because it's something that the, the church invented. The church invented health care as we know it. See, the thing, Mike Aquilina, I can I can hear the atheists out there. OK, because I've heard them before um, going back 10, 15, 20 years uh, people like Christopher Hitchens when he was alive. The church never really did anything good. So, like, like I'm glad you're bringing this up. Now, your book has to do with, uh, you know, the invention. You're talking about medicine, talking about the development of hospitals, which we're going to get into. But as far as the narrative out there, okay, uh, I don't think people know. Like, take science, okay, uh, science in general. Father Stanley Yaki wrote a book. Uh, Seton Hall, Seton Hall uh, University. All right. Father Stanley Yaki wrote a book. Uh, science was born of Christianity. Oh, you can't say that. What, what do you mean science was born? of? What do you mean? The Greeks were doing medicine. The Romans were doing that. Yeah. OK, well, they had some rudimentary uh, form of medicine, let's say. OK, but the 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 um, the practice or, or, or let's say medicine as a practice, OK, was not developed until the church developed it. The church. Right refined it, developed it, applied it, and people's lives were better because of that, okay? Right. Talk about that a little bit, Mike. 
Well, you, you know, I was I was really encouraged in my research because uh, not too long before there had been a scholarly book. Now, what I wanted to write was a, a popular book that told the stories from the lives of the saints. But um, a, 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 a great scholar, historian of science named Gary Ferngren, uh, wrote a scholarly history that was published by um, Johns Hopkins University Press. So fairly prestigious press, fairly prestigious author, and it's called Medicine and Healthcare in Early Christianity, right? And this is pretty much what he concludes. He says the hospital was, in origin and conception, a distinctively Christian institution, rooted in Christian concepts of charity and philanthropy. There were, and, and here's the money quote, there were no pre-Christian institutions in the ancient world that served the purpose that Christian hospitals were created to serve. None of the provisions for healthcare in classical times resembled hospitals as they developed in the late fourth century. And this is, again, a secular scholar coming writing an authoritative history from a secular press. Uh, that's and 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 so I'm not I'm not making this up, and I'm not trying to 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 inflate the claims of the church. I'm just trying to tell it like it is. And 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 that's why you know uh, that's why we wanted to have you on the show to talk about the book because this is what we need to know. Again, we're under Joe and I are as far as we're concerned. Um, I'm sure you would agree, Mike, as, as Catholics, um, those who adhere to the teachings of the church, believe, support the teachings of the church, okay, we're under constant attack. Yeah. And one of the things, and I will say that in some sort of like some, oh, woe is me type way, it's just the way it is. The mm -hmm. church has been persecuted from the beginning, okay? Yeah. But one of the ways that we fend off those attacks are being able to defend not just the faith itself, but all the actions of the church going back 2,000 years, okay? Yeah. But you can't do that if you don't know about it. And that's why that's you're right. on with the front line with Joe and Joe. Michael Aquilina is with us. If you're just joining us, we are discussing his new book. Now, please go out and buy it from the publisher, um, Emmaus Road Publishing, The Healing Imperative, The Early Church, and The Invention of Medicine as We Know It. Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? Well, Mike, tell us about basically the ancient world before you know, the medicine of the Christians, that was basically which we're kind of talking about here. I'm sure it wasn't a pleasant situation, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, and you know, people have always been getting sick, all right? And so people have always been wanting relief, relief from pain, relief from their symptoms, relief from one or another kind of illness. Um, the, the, the difference is that, that there were no hospitals back then. There were physicians and uh and there were physicians of all different kinds you know medicine medicine at the time of our lord uh was a riot of uh different types of practitioner um uh, there were there were there was the Hippocratic tradition. There was something called the empirical tradition. There were herbalists, soothsayers, magicians, folk healers, all of these different people uh, who were called doctors, physicians, you know, medical, medical men. And often their skills were passed down in the family. Uh, they 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 didn't work together. Okay. They they did not uh collaborate with one another they were in competition with one another and so they they kept their secrets fairly well guarded you know uh, hippocrates was was uh was an exception to this rule of course he said a lot down in writing and his writings became authoritative in a certain tradition um uh so there were these healers and if you could afford them you know you could you could give it a try 
most of these things probably didn't work. There were temples of Asclepius where you could go and pray and offer sacrifice and rest for a while, um, but they weren't really offering anything like medical care. There was no place where you could get extended medical care. The closest thing the ancient world had to a hospital where people could get extended care from professionals over a long period of time uh, was something called the volatudinarium, all right? And the volatudinarium was an institution uh, that was essentially a repair shop for slaves and soldiers. Now, you think, why this? Why, why slaves and soldiers? Well, well, they all represented an investment, right? You invest money in them to get them into shape, to get them to do the work that you need them to do, and they, they got to stay in that, that shape. If a slave or a soldier gets sick or gets injured, well, your productivity goes down, your safety goes down, you know, your value goes down, really. So, so you need to get get them fixed up really quick. The valetudinaria did not serve the general population. They were just there to to fix up your your slave the way the way um you might take your car in uh, to get some parts replaced. Uh, that's that's the way it worked. There was nothing offering general health care uh, in that time. Uh, so you had to contract with one of these um one of these healers and take your risk and probably spend a lot of money. Mike Aquilina is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. So we're talking about his book, The Healing Imperative, The Early Church and the Invention of Medicine as We Know It. So let's take a step back for a second, Mike Aquilina. Who is Dr. Anthony Galletta? Um, <laughs> and you dedicated the book to him. So uh, enlighten us on that. Well, uh, I, I did. I dedicated the book to, to Anthony Galletta, Tony Galletta, who was my physician for much of my adult life. All right. And uh, Tony was just a remarkable human being, had a profound Christian faith. Um, he uh, he served selflessly, you know, and, and he would not retire. I saw him the last time I saw Tony in his office was was shortly before his death. I think it was about a week before his death. He was on oxygen by then. He had a little portable oxygen source that he wheeled around and he had to sit down to examine me but he took care of me and got me in ship shape um i had a double ear infection at the time but he he got me in ship shape so that i could i could i could complete my speaking tour that i was on uh, at the moment uh tony was really an inspiration to me because he gave so much uh he was always doing medical missions to some far corner of the earth uh or or getting ambulances uh as donations uh, for Central America, and then he'd drive the ambulance to Central America and and spend a month there uh, giving free medical care to the people in some remote village. He founded a program in the Philippines while he was in medical school uh, that, that continues in operation today in the mountainous, remote mountainous region, and it continues to offer medical care to thousands to this day. Um, Tony was just a remarkable man, one of my heroes, and I think he embodies the spirit of the early church in extending the healing of Jesus Christ to the world uh, without without uh, placing any restrictions on it or any cost on it. Thanks for that, Mike. Joe Arsinello. You know, just to piggyback, I didn't obviously I don't know Tony, um, but we have by me Dr. Gallo, uh, another Italian. I'm going to throw it out there. He's our uh, doctor. He uh, delivered four of our five children. He had ten kids. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and he was, to be honest with you, whenever we would go, my wife had all C-sections. I was always confident because it was Dr. Gallo and he was so down to earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a vocation to be a it doctor. Is a like, like, it's not just a job. And you're talking why I bring up Dr. Gallo is because like those have been given much, much as expected. They're brilliant people. Not everyone could do that. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know your doctor, but I'm sure he was a brilliant man. Dr. Gallo was brilliant, but he used his gifts to help people. That's in lockstep with Christianity, the idea. Um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And I mean, to be honest with you, it gives me hope when I hear things like that. Well, it should. You know, uh, it, it's interesting uh, that that you bring that up because because you know we uh, people who study archaeology and um, and the documents of early Christianity they take uh, special note of of any name that's in a text or or in a in an inscription and they try to get as much information about that person as possible. It's uh, it's a it's it's a branch of history called uh, prosopography and um, and and. Uh, and and these people tell us that the the um the medical profession is better represented in the the people we know from early christianity than any other profession more than bakers or bankers or barristers or carpenters or you name it plumbers all of these people existed in the ancient world and they were members of the church but no profession is as well represented as physicians so from that we can gather a couple of things. You know, uh, one is maybe doctors felt attracted to Christianity because of the healing tradition within Christianity, and because Christ Himself was was praised and honored among Christians as a healer, the divine physician. He was often called. Um, uh, on the other hand, Christians themselves may have been drawn to the healing arts because Christ did them, and they wanted to be more Christ-like, and they recognized that this was a path of the imitation of Christ. So this is something that's that's going on in the early church. It's it's well documented, uh, and uh, and it's it's just cool for us to take note of it today. I think I think even today, many of the people who feel drawn to the the healing professions are 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 drawn there be, because of uh of, of their deep faith you know i think of my sister for example who um who served like 40 years in the emergency room at the at the local hospital and once they started instituting these new new protocols where they they forbade you to speak for more than one minute with a patient she said that's not why i'm here you know everybody who comes into an emergency room is in a crisis they need your attention so uh so mary mary took an early retirement and she started she started working at a free clinic that was run by the church she's still doing that today and it's uh it, it satisfies that that need that she has that drive that she has that vocation that she has from god well i'll tell you this mike aquilina i'm, I'm not gonna lie to you I, I i don't think i'm wrong at saying this that a lot of people would agree with me on this i don't look at the medical profession the modern medical profession the way you and joe just described the way Joe described Dr. Gallo, the way you described Dr. Galetta, okay? I don't see, I see I see them as people who are making, you talked about an investment. They make an investment, I'm going to spend X amount of time in school, I know there's a lot of school, then I got to do my residency, blah, 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 and then I'm going to make a ton of money. Now, I'm probably wrong, okay, um, as far as, you know, kind of blanketing the entire medical profession with that, but that's the impression that a lot of people have, is that people just go into medicine as an investment, I'm going to make buku bucks, 
okay? Um, and then I'll retire at some point in my 60s. They don't have, I believe, and again, this is an impression, Mike. I just want to make that clear. I'm not saying that this is a fact, but it's my opinion, that they don't have that, that, that um, they're not motivated by service mm. as much as they are money. Tell me why I'm wrong, Mike. <laughs> well, you may be right, uh, and it just it, it may just be the people I'm, I've been hanging around. But I do want to point out that when when my my sister retired, she retired because the business she felt was going in that direction. You know, they they started to to measure out the the care they were giving. You know, by teaspoons, telling them that they weren't allowed to talk to patients uh, for more than a minute. Uh, now, that that's that's not a lot of time to give to someone who's in the middle of a crisis, and she would not, she would not live that way. And and it was funny uh, when she did retire and she started working at the free clinic. She found herself working with many other nurses and doctors from her generation who had retired for the same reason, and that they were just there in the clinic, unpaid you know, to, to give this care to people who needed it. Uh, so I think that there, there, there are still, still those who are attracted, uh, to the, the profession for that reason. Um, uh, they may be, they may be a, a minority and they, they may be even shrinking over time because, um, because of the uh, the business orientation of the medical schools that I don't know, because I don't know it from the inside. I do know that the doctors that I've had in my adult life have all had this this service orientation, and um, and and they've uh, they've had it really as an expression of their Christian faith. I imagine that, um, and we'll get into it probably on the other side of the break. One of the one of the reasons I would feel uh, it's only a guess on my part. Many doctors would feel discouraged is let's say on the one hand the more business aspect of the medical profession. I think on the other side now is the, is, is the restrictions that are placed on doctor restrictions. I mean, what I mean by that is the, the woke restrictions that mm. you're not, you're not, the things you're going to be forced to comply with, which again, we'll get into on the other side of the break. If you're just joining us, uh, we're being joined by Mike Aquilina. We're talking about his new book, The Healing Imperative, The Early Church and the Invention of Medicine as We Know It. Joe, where do you want to go? Mike, in the book, you kind of talk about the hospital itself, how it started, where, you know, and kind of evolved in the Christian context. Give us a little history, um, how that kind of started, where it went, and basically how we, what we look at today kind of looks back to what it was. Well, my guess is that it started with just individual doctors, those who uh, discerned the vocation to pursue uh, this profession and, and, and go into it. Uh, and 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 they were known as Christians, and they they did their work well. That's my my impression of how it began. Uh, but then there came crises, some major crises in the Roman world, uh, and the big one was the um, the epidemic at the middle of the third century. It's sometimes called the epidemic of Cyprian uh, or the plague of Cyprian because um, because Cyprian of Carthage is the one who's left us the most information about it. So it, it strikes around the year 250 and it continues to spread for about 20 years. And what's interesting in that time is that Cyprian organized the doctors and the other medical professionals in his city of Carthage in North Africa. And he implored them to give care to anyone who needed it, not only Christians, 
but to anyone who needed it. So, so even the their pagan neighbors, that's significant because what's going on at this time around the year 250, the persecution of mm -hmm. Dacius, which was universal and which was a kind of Holocaust that was going on, that was being waged by the Roman empire against the Christians. So essentially what Cyprian was saying is, I want you or Christ wants you to serve not only your family members and your fellow Christians, but your neighbors who are persecuting you. To serve your neighbors who killed your parents or killed your children or killed your cousins, killed the people you love most. I want you to give them medical care too. And that was a radical witness in that time. And I believe that that really was the launching point for what we know as the hospital. Now, this institution developed a lot in the 100 years, 150 years after that, especially after Christianity became legalized in the early 300s. But this was the beginning of it, just this radical witness to, um, to, to service and to hospitality that the Christians exercised at a time of plague. And the plague was terrible. It may have reduced the population of the empire by one third. Imagine that. You know, thousands of people were dying in the cities every day, every day that the plague was active. Uh, so this was this was a radical and visible witness. And it was obviously something that appealed to people beyond beyond the, the bounds of the church and inspired them to to come closer to Christ. Because, hey, if you're a pagan and you survive, you you have your life only because Christians took the time to take care of you you're going to feel you owe something to their God, right? You're going to want whatever it is that they have that gives them something to live for, something they're willing to die for. You're going to want baptism. Let me ask you this, Mike Rogolina. Is that why when Jesus sent out the disciples, he told them to heal the sick first, yeah. then you preach the God? Yeah. I mean, I look at it this way. If I'm out there and let's say I have the uh, I have the ability and the talent to heal you, okay, I can go out there and preach the gospel first. Yeah. But if I take care of you and 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 restore your health, your children, you know, tend to you w with medicine and show that love through, you know, being able to do that, then I can imagine it'd be a lot easier for you to receive the gospel that I'm about to preach to you. Is that you see where I'm going to comment on that, yes. Mike? We have about a minute and a half before the break. Absolutely. You know, if you look at the, the New Testament itself, you look at the Gospels, you know, they refer to Jesus' actions as miracles, wonders, marvels, all those things. But St. John has this word he uses for them. It's signs. They're signs. They're not ends in themselves, but they're, they're, they're pointing us to something greater. You know, they're, they're, like, they're like a word about God, that, that Jesus is, is operating with the power of God, but he's working on earth to to transform everything. And he has the power to do that because whenever he sets his mind to it, these things happen. All he has to do is speak. All he has to do is, is lay his hands on these people and they are transformed physically. And he associates the physical healing with a spiritual healing as he does with the, the paralytic uh, who's healed and, and also has his sins forgiven. Luke was a physician too, was he not? He was. He was. So we have his witness in the New Testament. Uh, he's referred to as a physician by St. Paul. He gives some remarkable accounts. His his accounts of, of the, the healing miracles are different from those of the other Gospels, and, and the early Christians noticed that. 
Okay. Um, this Mike, we love this conversation. This is great. And for those of you just joining us, we're going to take a break. We have Mike Aquilina with us. Um, the Healing Imperative. That's the name of his book, the subtitle, The Early Church and the Invention of Medicine as We Know It. Mike, where can our audience members uh, not only buy the book, but where can they find out uh, and use St. Paul Center as a resource, not just for what you're doing and what you're writing, but for, for everything you have going on? Oh, wow. Uh, well, my website is fathersofthechurch.com, fathersofthechurch.com. Best place to get my books, any of them, is catholicbooksdirect.com, catholicbooksdirect.com. Uh, they usually have the best prices. Uh, the St. Paul Center is stpaulcenter.com. All right. Excellent. And we encourage all of our audience members, please go out, buy the book, buy Mike Aquilina's book, and take advantage. Avail yourself of all the work that, are, that, that you know, people like Mike are doing out there, particularly at the St. Paul Center. Let's, let's, let's extend our breadth of knowledge, not only about the faith, but also about history, about this topic, about, you know, about medicine and the growth of the, 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 the beginnings of hospitals and the development of hospitals in Western civilization, which came from the Christian impulse. So we encourage you all to go out there and do that. So you're with the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Stick around. We have another great segment with Mike Aquilina. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So... Let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We are way in the breach with Mike Aquilina discussing his new book, The Healing Imperative, The Early Church in the Invention of Medicine as We Know It. Joe Racinello. Mike, in the book, you emphasize the need to show compassion. We kind of touched on that on the other side of the break, how early hospitals would help all people, not just Catholics or Christians for that matter. Christ was compassionate to, to the sinner, to all people. Um, and Joe also kind of touched on the fact that if you are compassionate, people will be quicker to listen to you. And you got to mean it because we have to see Christ in people. You're not just doing it because you, you, know, you have to, to tick the box. I mean, um, talk about that, because I do think, you know, before people are impressed by what we know, they have to know that we care. And compassion is part of that. We have to feel for others and we have to show that. Talk about that because you wrote about it in the book. No matter what you're doing for a living, you have to ask the question, why am I doing this, right? Whether you are a banker or a baker or a barrister, like I said before, or a carpenter or a plumber, whatever it is that you do, why am I doing what I do? If you are a Christian, you are doing that thing in order to extend the work of Jesus Christ, in order to co-create the world with God after you're baptized— that's your role in the world, to be Christ in the world, to work with his hands, you know, to walk with his feet, to speak with his voice. That is your job, no matter, no matter what your profession is, whether it's medical or something else entirely. Uh, you, have to, you have to be Christ to your world. And, and these ancient physicians, they had that sense 
that this is what they were doing. They were extending the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, this is something we can see in the Gospels. We can see that Jesus was a healer, just as we can see that he was a teacher, and just as we can see that he was a rabbi, you know, or as a uh, he was a carpenter. So, all of these things that he did, we can imagine ourselves doing. All right. Um, if you're baptized. You have something that's more powerful than the Midas touch. You know, King King Midas in the ancient legend, he would he would touch something, anything, and it would turn to gold. Right? He in the end he touched his daughter and she turned to gold. Um, but uh, but we have something more powerful than the Midas touch because anything we touch turns to glory, turns to glory because it's it's uh, what we do is an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the, the work of Jesus Christ. And doctors are doing that. So they have to show the compassion of Jesus in everything they do. Why am I doing what I do? Why am I here? Okay. Doctors have to ask this question. And in the ancient world, they might ask the question and say, well, I'm doing this because this is how I earn money. Okay. And I make a good living doing this. And uh, the secrets of this profession have been passed down to me from my father and my grandfather, and they supported their families doing it this way. And I'm going to keep these secrets, and and do and 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 make money off it myself. Uh, but Christians in those early generations were not doing this for money. And some of the, some of the early Christian physicians we know about gave their medical care absolutely for free, and others among them uh, were were members of monasteries or they were some other kind of ascetic, they also did their work for free. Now, I'm not saying that every doctor out there needs to go start doing his work for free. You're not even allowed to do that <laughs> in the United States of America today. But, you know, uh, we have to catch something of the spirit of these these ancient healers uh, when when we um, when we go about our work, whatever whatever it is that we do for a living. Mike Aquilina, let me ask you this. Um, let, let's bring it up to our modern world a little bit, okay? Um, we're talking about hospitals. We're talking about places of healing, okay, where you go to be healed, all right, to get better. And you're talking about people who are able to do that. Hospitals have turned into places of death. I don't mean to sound so harsh, okay? But let's let's call it the way it is. People go to hospitals to have abortions. People go to hospitals to end their lives, all right. And I thought the Hippocratic Oath said, do no harm. I can't think of anything more harmful than helping somebody to end their life or to, or to kill a child in the womb. OK, but that's what hospitals have become. What's the problem here, Mike? Uh, I, I mean, because, again, we, it's, it's, to some people, say, well, it's obvious. I don't I don't know that there's an obvious answer. I You're talking about the Christian impulse to heal in, in the place now where death is provided. Tell me where I'm off in my analysis there, Mike. Well, for one thing, the Hippocratic Oath is no longer required of physicians. All right. Well, there's so they, a shock. <laughs> they do whatever they want to do, and and also, you know, Hippocrates himself was um was was uh was was not exactly consistent in this matter. Uh, but uh, but but what I want to point out is that the ancient world was rife with all of these practices. Right, uh, abortion was very common in the ancient world and it was a it was actually a leading cause of death of women right abortion infanticide euthanasia assisted suicide all of these things were practiced in that ancient world the one of the things that set christian practitioners apart from pagans was that they refused to do all of these things and they found a way 
to continue in their profession in spite of that refusal. Now, Christians have always had to do this. Christians have always had to, to find a way um, to offer these heroic acts of service without cooperating, without compromising, um, without, without giving in to the pressures from outside to do something evil, something that's objectively evil. And I think that uh, we're, we're kind of reverting to the pagan attitude in these matters uh, and, and, uh, and, and the pagan approach to, to, to medicine, and Christians are going to have to resist it. I have faith that Christians in medicine will find ways to persevere in spite of the um, in spite of the pressure uh, that's being that's that's being exerted on them now. Mike, but Joe Russell, I hope you don't mind. I just want to follow up uh, with that real quick before I hand it over to you, Mike. We we just had. Um, we're not going to get into a political topic discussion. I promise you, okay? Mm -hmm. But there are 210 members of the United States House of Representatives that recently voted that a child who survives an abortion lying on a table, no longer inside the womb, so we could take all the abortion arguments and throw them in the garbage, which you can already, but having said that the baby's now born, and yet that child does not deserve or does not have the right uh, to the doctor's uh, helping that child to to uh, survive at that point, okay? Tell me how it is that we can allow as Christians people to argue that we're so advanced in the modern world. No, you're not. You're pagan because yes. that's what the Romans used to do. Yes. They used to expose their children and leave them, on the, leave them overnight to die, okay? And we're doing the same thing. And, we, and, and 210 members of the United States House just voted to say that um, you don't, a doctor does not have to provide that child medical care. Uh, Mike, I love your comments on that because to me, I'm baffled by that. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's no uh, more vivid witness to the deconversion of our country. You know, we, we used to hear all the time that this is a Christian nation, that we're based on Judeo-Christian principles. Well, the ancient fathers, the ancient saints, the ancient rabbis would be appalled by what we've become appalled by this because it's not only the medical profession it's also you know all of all of uh, the these businesses we invented like the insurance business you know that aids and abets these practices it's government it's 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 so deeply entrenched right now that um that it, it's it, it's terrible and it witnesses against against us as a christian society i don't think that we can make that claim no, I, 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 I've been Joe and I've been saying that for quite some time. It's just like any. I don't think, I, I think it's just obvious that, that that we're 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 not a Christian nation. I will say this, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe. As far as persecution is concerned, these uh, these devoted um, doctors and nurses, medical practitioners who are Christian, who will not who will not participate in these things. Okay. I believe they're going to be, they're going to be on the front lines of the persecution because they're going to, they're going to lose their medical licenses. If uh, at least that's the threat right now. Um, and sorry, history repeats itself. And the, per the, this will be one group of Christians who will be persecuted if they don't do what the all powerful state tells them they have to do. We could get into that more, but let me hand it over to Joe, Mike. Mike, in the book, you basically say you don't believe a post-Christian society can sustain institutions such as hospitals. I would agree with that. Something my mother has said to me, always, I'll always remember. She said, Joe, if the Catholic Church closed its doors 
you would hear the cries across the ocean. Yeah. See, people don't like think about that enough. Because to be honest with you, in 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 America, even if you don't have insurance, and that's a sad situation, we have to we have to work as a church to get to get everyone insurance. Obviously, we don't want the government involved because then they could say who can live and who can die. Conversation for another day. But you can go to an emergency room. In the world, that does not happen. I've seen that firsthand. I've seen that in Haiti. I could. I worked at a mobile clinic in Haiti. A child came in with an appendicitis. They were going to give him last rites. He's going to die. I've seen this in India. People showing up at the missionaries of charity. Bones exposed. You fall off a motorcycle, you don't go to the emergency room. You die. Mm -hmm. That's how it works in a lot of parts of the world. It's the church yeah. that does this at the cost of nothing, free. Yeah. How did, like, I sometimes, how we remove ourselves from reality. There is no way such a thing as a hospital is going to be operating in, in, in a manner that gives aid to all without a Christian underlying foundation. No way is it going to happen. Talk about how you articulated that in the book. Well, yeah, no, I, I'm really interested in this because the, uh, just real quick, uh, as a quick comment, because Pete, some out there consider that to be kind of the, an, an arrogant uh, position to take. No, I think as Joe described, and I can't wait for you to say it, Mike, that's the reality of the situation. Go ahead, Mike Aquilina. No, it is the reality of the situation. Uh, and uh, and, and I, I, uh, it, the, the problem is fundamental. How do we articulate um, uh, a, a philosophy of of fundamental universal human dignity apart from Christianity, uh, there, there there's just no way to do it. And and already you know we've we've removed uh, the unborn child, even a nine month gestational child, from from the um, from the from 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 the roles of society. Okay, they don't count as persons. They don't count as 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 people living uh, in our community. Okay, so we've 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 removed them, and increasingly we're removing the sick. We're saying you have a life that's not worth living in Canada. They're really encouraging them to die in these circumstances. So we're we're um we're already diminishing this idea of human dignity everywhere. Right. What. profitable it's all about making it profitable okay the christians were the ones who didn't care about that uh, uh in the ancient world they had these valetudinaria because they were necessary for the profitability of different enterprises like like the military you know like like agriculture like any place that required slave labor you needed to keep the slaves in decent working condition right otherwise you know we don't care really whether you live or die um, in my city where I live. And, and, and what I want to emphasize here is this wasn't just the case in the ancient world. This was the case until very recently in my city. Uh, the, 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 the people here were not able to sustain a hospital for many, many years after the city's founding, not until the Mercy Sisters came from Ireland and established Mercy Hospital here were we able to have a stable institution of a hospital. Why is that? Well, because every time an epidemic hit, hit the city, like cholera, 
nobody would go to work in a hospital. Why? Because you're going to get sick. There's nothing you can do about it. And you're going to die. And not only that, but you're going to bring the sickness home to your family. So every time uh, the, the, the city fathers here would try to open a hospital, the hospital would close down until the Mercy Sisters, who were willing to die for Jesus Christ, who were willing to die in the practice of their profession, not until then. Were they able to sustain a hospital? I don't see how you keep this train going down this particular track without Christianity. You know, I I just don't see it. I wish I could. But when it comes I, down to Mike, it's money because yes, I have seen yes. in a secular state again. Well, it's not a secular state. I'll just use India as an example. Med hospitals are free. However. You go to a state-run hospital, the family has to pay for the nurse. You don't have the money. You just die. You go right. there to die. Like if you don't – if you have money, you have great care. But if you don't, you don't. Even yeah. in places like Canada, you have to pay for supplemental insurance. And by the way, most people can't because they're taxing you at a higher rate. Only the rich can. Joe, so your can care I is at the minimum. Joe, can I piggyback on that? Because I think it's important. I love where you're going with this, Joe Racinello. And for those of you just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we have Mike Aquilina. We're discussing his new book out from Emmaus Road Publishing, The Healing Imperative, The Early Church, and the Invention of Medicine as We Know It. Joe, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think it's important. I want to have piggyback on what you said. Here's the thing, Mike. We talk about it on this show all the time. Get rid of ideology, and let's talk about practical things. On the one hand, you have conservatives, okay? Uh, many of whom, let me not just say all, but many of whom, uh, government stays out of it, laissez-faire, uh, just very simply just treated, as you said, like a business, okay? On the other hand, you have the socialists. They, like, let's say the Obamas of the world, they, they Obamacare, and the government's going to run it, and there's mandates and blah, 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 and all those things that we know Obamacare had in that legislation, okay? Where is the church on this, as far as where I'm going with this is, what is the church's view on access to health care uh, and or health insurance? Because you, as usual, I'm, I'm going to suspect that the church's view is somewhat more pragmatic than, let's say, the ideological right or the ideological left. Well, in the ancient world, the idea was to give was to, to make healthcare available to everyone. Uh, that was the case with um, so many of the hospitals that we know about from that time, the one founded by Basil the Great uh, in Caesarea, the one uh, founded by Olympias in Constantinople, the one founded by Fabiola in Rome, that uh, that this is, this is what it was about. It was about providing universal care to all comers. Um, if you turned away the poor, then you were turning away Jesus Christ. And there was a keen sense of that among the, the founders of those hospitals. Gregory of Nyssa wrote eloquently on this, as did St. Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, you know, that this was to be universal and, and healthcare uh, was, was, uh, was all about providing care to Christ as well as extending the ministry of Christ. You turn someone away, you're turning Jesus away. Mike, let me ask you this. Do I have, under, as far as Catholic teaching is concerned, do, do I have a right to health care? Because I think the, 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 these things get thrown around sometimes, and I think a lot of the argument out there is very unclear. Um, and, and so I guess I, I'm asking because I, I'm unclear on this. Do I have a right to health care or, 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 or do I have at the, the very least have a right uh, or should I have at least access 
to uh, in a reasonable manner purchase insurance of that's that's good insurance, uh, so I could take care of my. How should we be thinking uh, of this, particularly in America? Uh, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an easy question. Yes, you do have a right to health care. Uh, Pope John Paul II, Pope St. John Paul II said that explicitly. I don't remember the document, but he said explicitly that there is a universal right to health care. Okay. And, and, I would and, agree and, with that. You cannot raise a family. I have five kids. You cannot raise a family without health care, and that is a sin. Our issue as a church is, but I don't want the government to tell me that because my child in my wife's womb is going to be sick, I have to abort the child because it costs too much money from an insurance company's perspective because everything comes down to, to cents and dollars, yeah. which we have seen in situations not in abortion but in England. Um, but you're right, 100%. The church would be all about Obamacare if they didn't force secular practices upon the people. A lot of like – I mean let's not get into politics. You have to have health care in America to live. You can't have a family without health care. You're in the poorhouse. One problem. I've had kids stitches, this, that, the other thing. The bills would be huge. Yeah. Like, and, and, and frankly, people, Catholics, have to take off their political hat and think along those lines. Yeah. People have to be cared for. I just don't want the state to do it. Yeah. Um, but getting back to what you were saying about, like, taking care of Christ, I think of the St. Joseph Muscati, a Neapolitan uh, doctor, great movie for people to watch, a Catholic who took care of the poor. If I can help you, I have to. Well, that goes along whether you're a doctor or you have some money in your hand. If I can help you, I have to. If you're Catholic, we have Joe, to Joe, back up, Joe, back up a second. You you just you froze there for a second. I, I really want to hear what you were saying. Start again with uh, Dr. Moscati, because that's no, where you kind of cut it. Dr. Moscati was a Neapolitan doctor um, and he's a saint. He was wealthy and he helped the poor because he could. He could. When you see Jesus in the Eucharist, you'll see him in other people. And if I can help you, I have to because I see him in you. <laughs> and that goes not only for doctors, that goes for us. Catholics, we have to help people. If we don't help people, all the doctrine doesn't mean a darn thing. I don't care. All the degrees, they don't mean nothing. If we don't see Jesus in other people and, and being a doctor, because you're brilliant, most doctors are brilliant. They can help you. How could you turn someone away? How? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, to, to get back to what I've said a couple of times already is this, this is all about, it's not about policy. It's at least not primarily. It's not about, it's not about programs. It's about con interior conversion uh, for those who are practitioners, uh, but also for each of us, no matter what we're doing. Uh, we, this is why evangelization is so important because we need to change the hearts, beginning with the hearts of Catholics. So many Catholics are complicit in so many of these sins right now. And, and we've got to change that situation by teaching very clearly and bringing about conversion. Well, here's one thing I'd want your comments on, Mike, because one of the things is this, okay? Uh, Joe and I, you know, especially on this program, on the Veritas program, we, we, we don't want to get into the, let's say, because if you, if you mentioned certain things like you just said, oh, there they go getting political. We're not being political. We're getting, and I want you to talk, 
there's going to be, we talked about the, the violation of conscious rights, uh, conscious rights, okay, where Catholic doctors, nurses, they're going to be forced to do things that they don't want to do. I think as a church, now listen, if you want to be somebody who's going to who's going to stand in the way of church teaching on abortion, on all these sorts of things, but you're complicit as a Catholic, many of you out there, and they know who they are, in forcing other Catholics to have to get involved with this stuff. And I don't think we're being so judgmental or so harsh when we say, hold it. You're going to have to stand before Jesus at some point, your position on abortion, on this and that and the other thing. However, you, you don't think that there's a problem forcing Catholic doctors and nurses to have to now join you in, let's say, your support of abortion and also performing abortions? Talk about that, Mike, because I think, I think this is where the USCCB could be a little stronger, okay, when it comes to those people and say, hold it now, back off. You can't force these people to do this, nor should you support legislation that's going to force them to, to violate their conscience rights. Yeah, I, I, I suppose you can look to the U, USCCB for that. Um, that's, but, but, but really, as Pope Francis has continually pointed out, every individual bishop has authority that the USCCB lacks, okay? The bishop is the one who has the authority. A bishop's conference has no theological authority you know no 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 theological place uh you know in the authority structure of the church so uh, uh, any bishop can speak up you know and 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 uh, at least in theory any pastor can I, mm -hmm. I think that right now we're so afraid of offending people because we know that uh that the people in our congregations are working for many of these these institutions these businesses out there and we're afraid of offending them um, but we need to give clear guidance or we're just going to keep drifting in the other direction because people just don't know what the tradition is. People don't know what the doctrine is. They have no clear idea. And, and, and they're, 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 they're already uh, kind of going down the slippery slope. I've, I've spoken to doctors who've said that they believe as Catholics that, um, that some of the protocols of, um, of, uh, of, of, of of care uh, for the dying that are typical in our secular hospitals are nothing short of murder, you know that that mm -hmm. that their patients are being drugged to death within these hospital systems. Um, individual bishops need to be speaking up on this mm -hmm. so that their the practitioners become sensitized to it. All right, because yeah. otherwise you 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 know you just um, you just are acclimated to um to following authority from above you figure they know better right and right. often they often they don't you know this isn't this isn't about science you know people will will say crazy things like the church is waging a war on science or a war on women well i would just point out that the church invented a lot of this science especially in the the medical field um and 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 a lot of the early hospitals were founded by women you know <laughs> which was which was not something that a pagan woman could pull off but a christian woman could because christian women were respected right mm -hmm. and and medical research was made possible only because Doctors were no longer freelancers, but they were working together on the same patients over a period of time. They could see what was working and what was not, and they could share that information, and they did. This was the precondition for medical progress. Without those conditions, there's no medical prog progress possible. Um, Thank so you for that, Mike. 
Thank you for that, Mike. We only have a couple minutes left. I went. We. Uh, I know Joe wants to end on a positive note for <laughs> those of you just joining us here at the yeah. front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, Mike Aquilina, he's the author of the new book, The Healing Imperative, The Early Church, and the Invention of Medicine as we know it. Like I said, we only Joe, we only have a couple minutes left. I know you wanted to end with some optimism. Mike, you're always optimistic, and, and you end your book talking about uh, post-revolutionary France, produced Louis Pasteur, who is Catholic. You note that a lot of Nobel Prize winners in medicine identify as Catholic and or were converts to the Catholic faith. Clearly, we're still at the table. No matter how dark things get, Catholics will always be at the forefront, always be at the front lines. Uh End us on a positive note. You know that the Catholic Church will always be there providing the care that the world needs. Uh, the, the arm of the Lord has not been shortened. I think that there's no way anyone in the ancient world could have predicted the development of the hospital. This novelty that was introduced by Christianity, made possible by Christianity, and then taken forward by Christianity. I think God's got something up his sleeve. And it's an ample sleeve, as I said. You know, the arm of the Lord has not been been shortened. So I think um I, I think that we can expect great things. We need to ask great things of God, and we need to cooperate with with the graces He's already given us. This institution, this this thing we call health care, is Christian in its essence. We need to bring that out in our own teaching, in our own identity, we need to foster that in our own people before we can hope to influence those outside the church. So again, it's going to require conversion. It's going to require evangelization. It's going to require um, a greater discipline uh, on the part of Christians themselves. Absolutely. And probably going to require a whole lot of courage, too, yes. uh, moving forward. Mike Aquilina, the book is The Healing Imperative, The Early Church and the Invention of Medicine as we know it. Where can our audience members buy it? Uh, at CatholicBooksDirect.com. CatholicBooksDirect.com. Mike, when we have you on the show, Joe and I, you know, uh, you know, we sometimes we, we Joe and I pray all the time. We hope we're doing the right thing. Are we going in the right direction? You know, are we serving a purpose? When we have you and people like you on the show, we have our answer because this was a great conversation that a lot of people out there, I'm sure, are going to value. So we encourage all of you out there to go out and buy Mike's book, uh, The Healing Imperative. Mike Aquilina, you know, you're welcome on this show anytime, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. And thank you out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Remember to follow Joe and I on social media, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, uh, and also at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. So we're trying to build up our Twitter presence now that we hope it's going to be uh, a more open platform. So thank you once again. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.